you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, as we come before you now this morning and we approach your word, we pray and ask you to illuminate our minds and our hearts. Lord, that your presence is known among us, that, that we might hear your voice through your holy scripture this morning, that, that we might know you better. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. We have two scripture readings this morning, uh, the first coming from Zechariah 9 and the second from Psalm 145. So first, our reading from Zechariah 9, verses 9 to 12. Hear now the word of the Lord. Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you. Triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall command peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. And now Psalm 145, verses 8 to 14. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his companion is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your faithful shall bless you. They shall speak of your glory, of your kingdom, and tell of your power to make known to all people your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your domain and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and gracious in all his deeds. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, over the summer, we've been going through a number of different prophetic books in the Old Testament, and we've been trying to piece together some of these stories for everyone. And the reality is, is that this is not most people's favorite section of Scripture. Uh, and it makes sense. Right? We think about the New Testament, that's a focal point for many of us that we're familiar with, even if we, we don't really read our Bibles too much, because Jesus is in the New Testament. There's Gospels, there's miracles, there's, there's the Easter story and the Christmas story. And then we've got Paul, he writes all the epistles, he's got good lessons and arguments going on there. And even in the early Old Testament, we've got Genesis and Exodus, and we've got these big epic stories and these characters that have these moral dilemmas. And so we kind of remember a lot of those things. They're easy to remember some of the big crazy things. And then even in the book of Psalms, the biggest book of the Bible, we've got these musical reminders of God's goodness. And we've got the book of Proverbs. It's this short little book of wisdom that we just get to memorize and, and, and chew on. But we get to the prophets and it gets weird. And I think we can all be honest that this is a part of the Bible that when you're, you're thinking of the most inspirational, powerful, awe-inspiring moments of reading Scripture, this, this book, Zechariah, is probably not at the top of your list. 
The other minor prophets that we've been reading, even books like Isaiah or Ezekiel, they're not exactly at the top of our list because these books are hard to track. Where these other parts of Scripture, they've got these really obvious morals and lessons or characters, perhaps, that are memorable. These prophets are not that. And it's because it's a, a part of Scripture that deals with some really confusing places. Places in the timeline of what's happening, places in our own lives. And so I just want to free everyone of the guilt. If you feel like these parts of the Bible are really awkward and difficult to understand, that's absolutely normal. If these parts of the Bible seem really weird and obscure and confusing, it's because they're weird and obscure and confusing. So know that you're not alone in this confusing kind of feeling reading books like Zechariah or Hosea or Isaiah or Jeremiah. And yet, they're part of Scripture. And yet, these prophets were, were passed down to us to help guide us in our faith and to help draw us closer to our God. And so we approach these texts as best as we can. So I'll just back up a little bit and, and give you some of the context that we've talked about for the last few weeks about where this takes place in the, the grand story. We had King Saul. We had King David. We had King Solomon. Israel is ruling. They feel good. But then King Solomon's son decided to go his own way, and there became this huge split, and now there's the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. We don't know anything about countries not getting along with one another, right? Uh, and so Israel splits into these two separate nations, the north and the south, and they think that they are righteous in all that they're doing. They think that their way is the way. This doesn't sound familiar at all, right? And so as Israel is trying to live out what they think is right, both in the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, the reality is that both kingdoms get conquered. Both kingdoms are overwhelmed by surrounding enemy forces. Both kingdoms are thrown into exile. And fundamentally, this, this chunk of scripture dealing with the prophets, it's all about right before and during the exile. The role of these prophets were to go to the people of Israel and say, listen, these are the visions that God has given me about what it means to be the people of God. Listen, this is what it means to live in the kingdom of God. Listen, we're not on the right track. We need to get back on the right track or things aren't going to go right. And things did not go right. So that's the easiest summary I can give you for like 15 books of the Bible that are happening at this moment. And so we get to this prophet Zechariah. And it's this, this interesting time. Now, I know you all know Zechariah, not to be confused with Zephaniah, but for the three people in the room that don't know Zechariah really well, I'll let you know that Zechariah's role as a prophet, he gets on the scene, and at this point, the exile is coming to an end in one sense, because Babylon was defeated, and now Persia's in control. And this guy, Cyrus, he realized that while it's easy to take over nations, it's much easier to rule foreign people if they're not miserable. And so Cyrus said, you know what? You can go home and rebuild your temple. You can go home and try to enjoy your land. You can go home as long as you pay homage to me. And so there are these prophets, not just Zechariah, but also Haggai that we're not going to read today. But they get on the scene and they're trying to encourage the people. They're saying, listen, you've seen what happened. You've seen the exile, you've seen the struggles, and now it's time to hear what God is doing. It's time to hear what is to come. It's time to hear what God is calling you to now. 
And when Zechariah gets on the scene, the people are kind of in this weird spot. And we start in Zechariah 9, but for the first eight chapters, it's just oracle after oracle. It's vision after vision. It's analogy after analogy of what the kingdom of God will look like. Of what the kingdom of God is if the people can only notice it. Now, this whole overarching idea of exile is one that confuses us, perhaps. It's not really a word we use in our everyday conversations. Hopefully, you've never been exiled. But simply put, exile is just being barred from one's own country. It's being kept from being able to go home. And so when we talk about exile in Scripture, it's, it's something that's a little bit more than just the notion of being lonely or away from home or uncomfortable. It's the notion that nothing is going to be going right. We know that sensation of wanting to go home. We know that sensation of being stuck in a place that we don't want to be. And so exile for the Israelites, it's not just that they weren't in their country. For ancient people, it felt like nothing was going right. For ancient people, it was this, this sensation that, that their God had lost, the sensation that their God was not as in control as they thought. And so exile for the people of Israel redefined everything. And for us... We don't really think about our faith through the lens of exile. Now, to be clear, there are absolutely people in the world and in our own country, perhaps, that, that experience this sensation of exile, experience the sensation of not being able to go to their homeland for one reason or another. For Israel, it's because they were captured. They were taken over. They, they were no longer independent. And it was this this feeling that shattered their self-perception, shattered their identities, shattered their ideas about God. And so the exile changed everything about their experience. And in the same way, that, that part of why it's difficult for us to, to grapple with this idea of exile is because most of us are not experiencing that. But I do think that many of us know what the sensation of exile is like in one way or another. It's that sensation that you're not able to be in the place you've been called to be. Exile is when everything that you thought you had planned out doesn't go to plan. Exile is when the rug gets ripped out from under you and you're left to pick up the pieces. Exile is when all of the people you trusted to support you are no longer there to support you. Exile is when you feel like your God has abandoned you. Exile is something that we know even if we don't know. So in one sense, exile is absolutely technically about physical location, and in another sense, exile goes so much deeper. It cuts so much deeper to the core of who we are as people. It's the sensation that you are isolated, that you have no support, that you have no love, that you have no hope. Exile is not a good place to be, and this is why it's such an important part of our scriptures to read what these prophets are writing to the people of Israel in their exile. This is what it means to live as people of the kingdom when you're in the worst case scenario. It's about going home. And we all know the sensation of not being home. We know the sensation as students 
of having a terrible day at school and you fail test after test, you forgot to turn in homework and you're just exhausted, you're like, if I can just get home, I can start tomorrow new. Or we know what it's like to, to be stuck at practices with sports and we're exhausted and we're like, I can't run anymore, but if I could just get home, I can restart. You know what it's like when you're at work and you've had it up to here with every person doing things to you. You go, if I can just get home, I'll be good because home is our refuge. Home is the place where we feel most safe. Home is the place where we feel most cozy and comfortable and isolated in the way that we get to control. Home is the place where we get to define the rules. Home is where we get to be ourselves. And it's not just a physical place. Sometimes home is so much more than that. Home is, home is the conversations that we have around certain tables. Home is knowing that we don't sit on that couch. That's the couch that we just look at. We sit on that couch over there. Home is knowing that we have conversations in this room, but we watch movies in that room. Home brings with it a, a beautiful comfort that you can't just recreate. That's why when you move to a new place, it takes so long to call it home. You have to settle into a place. And so all of us know what it's like to not be home. I love to go camping. I love to backpack. I love to be on the trail. And I love even more going home at the end of one of those trips. Because when you're away from your home, when you're away from your comfort, when you're away from the place you feel like is yours, you feel lost. And while you may not be exiled Physically, in your location, many of us know the sensation of exile spiritually. We know the feeling of isolation. We know the feeling of being lost. And that's why the prophets were called to go to the people amidst their exile and explain that their God had not abandoned them. That their God was not physically bound to their country, to this geographical location, but rather that God goes with them. And as prophets like Zechariah get on the, the scene, he tells story after story after story of saying, this is what the kingdom of God is like. It's a place where in this text this morning, he says that it's a place of peace. We're cutting off the chariots for war. We don't need them anymore. It's a place where we break our bows because we don't need them anymore. It's a place where prisoners of exile get to go home. Prisoners of hope get to go home. Home. It's a promise that in the kingdom of God, peace is what we've been called for. Relationship is what we've been called for. And that phrase, prisoners of hope, it, it's a little clunky. It's a little weird, and, and that's one of the beautiful challenges of translation in the Bible, is that there's this attempt to, to dance between literal wooden translations, word for word, exactly how it should look, and then also, like, what actually makes sense when we say it out loud. And so scholars talk about this phrase a lot, and they say, it's not prisoners of hope. You're not a prisoner to hope, but rather it's prisoners who wait in hope. It's prisoners who are, are living this life of exile, struggling through this situation, and yet they cling to their hope. They cling to knowing that their God is still God. They cling to knowing that even though everything is as bad as you can imagine, that God is still leading them to the next place. That God is actually with them in that struggle. This text that we use this morning, one of the primary uh, portraits, images, metaphors that's used is the language that we should be pretty familiar with. Zechariah writes, he says, Your king comes to you triumphant and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt. This is an image 
that we should be familiar with. It's the image that we recite every year at Palm Sunday. It's the language of this prophet reminding Israel of what it's going to be like when the kingdom is among you. It's the prophet telling us that there's more to come that God has not done. As the prophet explains what it means to be in the kingdom of God, to live in this sensation of peace, even when everything around you is chaotic and going awry, he says, know that that your God is coming to you humbly and triumphant and redefining all of our expectations. The New Testament writers were very familiar with the prophet Zechariah because what is being talked about here, this, this kingdom lifestyle, these kingdom principles of what it means to live as the people of God, it's what we take with us wherever we go, to any circumstance we find ourselves in, to any location we find ourselves in. Because exile, it can carry any kind of weight with it. It can follow you where you go because it's not just about location. It's about the hurts that we experience. It's about the pains that we experience. And as Zechariah writes to these prisoners that await in hope for God to move, Zechariah is empowering and encouraging them with the faithful promise that God is with them. And so the question this morning is, What is our exile? What is the thing that's trying to imprison you? And I don't want to undermine the severity of exile, not only for Israel, but for people today. The the life of the church, the history of the church, has unfortunately involved lots of exile. John Calvin himself was exiled for his beliefs. There's all kinds of exile that happens, and, and exile wasn't just this mental experience for Israel. It was literal death. It was being cut off from their culture. It was being cut off from their heritage and their families. So exile is not something that we take lightly, but I bring it up because of how significant it is. I bring it up because we know what it's like to have our ideas about God shattered. We know what it's like to see so much evil around us, to experience so much pain ourselves that we ask the question, what could God possibly be doing? What is the plan here? Why are things going this way? This is what Israel lived through for decades and generations, asking the question, why? How could this work together for good? And the prophets like Zechariah come onto the scene and try their best to give us images of what it means to be the people of God, what it means to live in this kingdom so when we talk about exile, we, we recognize that we all have our own stuff. We all have our own struggles, our own experiences that make us feel like no one else could possibly understand what we're going through. These, these experiences that isolate us from one another because we feel so hurt or so lost or so destitute without any kind of hope for what's to come. And if we let it, these things can imprison us, our minds, our love, we, we feel that all of the love and faith and hope and generosity is ripped out from under us because of our circumstances. We're exiled. And that's why people like Zechariah write to the people of God to remind one another of what it means 
to be the people of God. It means that we actually have far more in common with one another than we think. We actually share much more in common in our hurts than we think. We know what it is to lose someone we love. We know what it is to fail when we didn't think it was possible. We know what it is to lose our jobs. We know what it is to lose faith in a political system. We know what it is to not know what's going to go right because so much has gone wrong. And when we come together as a community and remind ourselves of the words of prophets like Zechariah, when we remind ourselves through songs and through scriptures and through confessions that our hope, it's in God. It's not in today. It's not in tomorrow. Our hope is in a God that continues to work even if we're not seeing how that thing is working together for us. Our call as the people of God to live in this kingdom is to remind each other in our worship, to, to celebrate our gratitude to God. This is why the psalmist writes in 145 that the Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. Our trust is that even as we fall, it's inevitable. We're imperfect, things happen to us, things are out of our control but that it's our God who picks us up. It's our God that empowers us to keep going. It's our God that says you've been called to more than the circumstances you find yourself in. And as you look around and you see these struggles, maybe you're in a place where you aren't struggling, but there are people. There are people that are, are losing sight of God's goodness. There are people that, that can't believe the words good news of the gospel because it's never been good news to them. There are people that don't know what it is to feel the love of God because all they've ever heard from the church is hate and hurt. Our calling as God's people, our calling in this kingdom work is to see that good news go beyond these walls. See that good news go beyond this community. See that good news go into all the world. And as we need to empower and encourage one another in the hope of our faith, we also need to encourage and empower those that have never experienced it. People like Zechariah encouraged the people of God to know that their God was with them, that their God was for them, that their God was not leaving them behind, but rather was leading them to the next thing. Our hope is not a bargaining chip that if we have hope, then we'll get good things. Our hope is an act of faith and trust that God is doing what God has called us to. God is doing more than we can really wrap our minds around, and yet we are also called to love God in the midst of trusting what he'll do next. Zechariah is a prophet who's telling the people that things were bad, but you prisoners that were waiting in hope that we're stuck, God is calling you home. I don't know what you're stuck in this morning. Different seasons of life get us stuck in different ways. And when you get stuck, it is a scary feeling because it feels like nothing can change your circumstances. And my encouragement to you is that if you feel stuck, if you feel imprisoned in a circumstance or situation or feeling, know that even if you feel that way, if you, if you know that to be your situation, that you can be a prisoner of hope, that you can be someone that in the midst of that stuckness, in the midst of that struggle, in the midst of that fear, someone that hopes that God is still working with you. The prophet Zechariah was called to remind the people amidst their struggle that God was with them. His, his name in Hebrew, Zechariah, literally means Yahweh has remembered. Our God has remembered. Our God has not forgotten us, but rather our God 
He's already been thinking about this. Our God's already been working on this. Our God's already been calling us to the new thing that he's doing into this kingdom work. So let us all remind ourselves to remind one another to tell this good news to the world around us that even as things go off track, God is still God. God is still leading us, and our hope is in him, not in ourselves, not in these circumstances, because we trust that a God that is good is leading us to an ultimate good. May our faith and our hope be in him alone. Amen.